Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. I created Data Mesh Radio to be a resource for Data Mesh practitioners the world over. This is a weekly summary episode where I share a bit about the upcoming week's episodes and give you an extended summary for any interviews or panels that will be released during that week. It's designed to help you decide what episodes you might want to spend the full time to listen to, as interview episodes and panels are typically more than one hour long. In general, if you were running up against any challenges with Data Mesh, I'm here to help. I started a company around doing just that, Data Mesh Understanding. So get in touch if I can be of help. Check out our free community programs and things like that as well. Weekly episode summaries and programming notes for the week of October 15th, 2023. Uh, my call to action this week is pretty simple. Just find someone else doing data mesh and reach out and really follow through and setting up a call to discuss. Don't just make one quick little message actually follow through. It's really not that hard, I promise. So what's on tap for this week? On Monday, we have episode 260, driving the big picture forward, more on Northern Trust data mesh implementation interview with Jimmy Coslow. So Jimmy has a pretty unique role here. He's the data mesh enablement lead. And you may remember from a way earlier episode, Con Chow, who was previously at Northern Trust, also came on. That's why more on Northern Trust journey. But Jimmy's role of being this data mesh enablement lead, we, we talked a lot about that. Like, how do you manage the big picture by clearing away the impediments for those on the ground doing a lot of the day-to-day work in data mesh and keeping that big picture moving forward. How do you find the points of leverage and prove out value to get more converts and more funding? How should, you know, what should be decentralized and, and how much and how do you figure out how that actually looks for your organization of what should be decentralized and what shouldn't? And there's a whole lot more, you know, he's got a very interesting role of being, you know, literally his role is enabling data mesh to happen. So there's a ton of great learnings. I have almost as many takeaways from this as I do for a typical panel. So I, I really think this one will get your your mind kind of flowing around this stuff. On Friday, we have episode 261, Just What the Heck is a Data Product Container? Shemax Corner number 29. So this is the start of a new conversation, a new recording. And we start to dig into Jamak's ideas around containerization in data. We've talked a little bit about it, but we get a, lit, a lot deeper. Why does this matter? And why is this where she's focusing on for her company next data, right? There's so many places in data mesh or data that she could be focusing. Why is containerization so important to her? You know, and here are a couple of takeaways of containers in software abstracted away a number of very cumbersome tasks and encapsulated a lot of the dependencies software had to its environment. Combined, that meant developers could focus on delivering value instead of focusing on the infrastructure and a lot of the underlying stuff that just doesn't add value. It's just if you can abstract it away, if you can automate it away, they can focus on what matters. It's, it's all about sharing data in a responsible and easy way 
That means putting all the components together so you don't have to manage, you know, many versions of all the different aspects and the different components of what you're using to put together into a data product. This is just like with microservices. You have all of these things packaged together, so you deploy it as one unit. This is what she's talked about with that whole data quantum thing as being an independently deployable unit. And then how do you manage to make this easy for the data product developer? Again, bundle everything together. But a lot of people are doing these centralized data products and, and they're creating a lot of potential issues and risks to scalability and flexibility. We just keep trying to centralize certain aspects that we shouldn't in data, right? There are, we don't decentralize absolutely everything when it comes to data mesh, but there's all these, these kind of tendencies to slip back towards trying to centralize things that shouldn't be. So with that, on to the extended summary for Jimmy's episode. Extended summary for episode 260, driving the big picture forward. More on Northern Trust Data Mesh Implementation, an interview with Jimmy Koslow. So in this episode, I interviewed Jimmy, who is the Data Mesh Enablement Lead at Northern Trust. Yes, that's his actual title. Pretty cool. To be clear, though, he was only representing his own views on the episode. Also, FYI, if you listen, there were some technical difficulties where the recording just kept shutting off, so there might be a little bit of... <laughs> logic breaks a little bit between some of the questions. And this is a very philosophical discussion that we had in this conversation that's really tied to some deep implementation experience. So it is hard to sum up with a route writing a small novel, which I kind of did as well. So Jimmy's role is a rather unique one in that he is literally tasked with enabling data mesh to happen and make sure they're focused on the right things. That means a myriad of different things but a lot of it is ensuring that communication and collaboration happens where it needs to while still focusing on the big picture around data mesh. It might be like an American football coach that coaches the entire team, but is still calling plays and making the minute decisions during the game. It's a big sat set of tasks to take on, and it's all about kind of balancing that micro-macro throughout the implementation. At Northern Trust, they started their mesh implementation with the innovators, you know, and according to Jimmy, there's a, there's a common pattern for all tech implementation that a lot of people use, not just in data mesh. Find the people enthusiastic to try new, something new, so you don't have to spend half your time driving buy-in. There obviously, they, there obviously also had to be a need where data mesh could work and would be a differentiator for those domains, but really look for those people that just really want to do some things. For Jimmy, one big complexity factor he is seeing in their data mesh implementation is around data products. He believes that you really start to drive value of a data product higher, the more relevant and interoperable data sets you include in that data product, within reason, of course. So he was talking about as you add that fourth or fifth data set to a data product, it gets complex to maintain interoperability and consumability even just at that data product level, not even how it fits into the overall mesh. But that complexity is where a big part of the value really lies in data mesh, that it pushes organizations to take on that complexity, but in a scalable way. There's a bit of a push, 
uh, push pull in data mesh for Jimmy. You know, organic data product growth only coming from new use cases versus the centralized team pushing for the value from more and more interoperable data. Basically, they're looking maybe at, at creating data products that fill the gap between existing data products to enable additional use cases. New use cases emerge the more data products you have that are well-crafted and that link data across those domains. But the question becomes, do you push for those new data products that don't have a specific use case, that inorganic growth, in order to create that tipping point where those use cases can quickly emerge? It would mean less work for consumers and faster time to market if the data is already available when they start looking at it for uh, looking for it on the mesh instead of working with those producing teams. But will the data products be made well enough to serve you know, those broader use cases? Will they really have that ownership when there isn't somebody telling them, here's exactly how we want to do it? Will people really want to use those? Or is it just, hey, there's this big gap in the data, but nobody's specifically looking because they're, they're assuming that that gap exists? Are people ready to go and discover these pre-made data products instead of ones tailored to their needs? Should we only apply this to new data products? How would a central team spot when additional attributes are needed to take an emerging data product from only serving a use case to being more globally valuable, right? Or is that central team only looking for gaps that are in the overall product, data product space, but not gaps at that kind of individual attribute level within a data product? It's still a question in data mesh as to whether to pursue inorganic data product creation. I think this is a really important question to ask yourself. At the start of their journey, and even though they are two plus years in, it's still relatively early, honestly. Jimmy and team are focusing on existing known use cases as they build out the existing available data and, and improve their capabilities. Capabilities not just to deliver new data products, but how to deliver incremental data that fits well into their already existing set of available data on the mesh. It's about building out the entire picture instead of focusing too much at the micro level. You know, personal note here, balancing that micro and macro level is hard, you know, maybe extremely hard. But the earlier you get good at figuring out how to add value at the overall mesh level, kind of maximizing that macro value, not just the micro value, while still serving use cases, the more you can do that, the more you will deliver with each incremental data product. Jimmy talked about with data mesh, even though we can deliver scalable data products relatively quickly, there can be more initial friction for new use cases, such as teams have to go and collect the necessary information to do the governance well. You know, the, the teams creating the data products, they have to go and grab a bunch of information and the, the consuming teams, you know, they might not be so willing to wait because there's more friction here. And so some people might be frustrated or more bought in that the upfront friction, whether it's worth it. So he's trying to show the value far exceeds the initial friction, but people will, of course, resist new ways of working, such as the nature of working with humans. When asked, what does success look like for them at Northern Trust? Jimmy pointed to showing value, specifically showing. Important to know that this isn't merely delivering value, but being able to show that value. As Jerry Maguire said, you know, show me the money. 
being able to show value generation helps to build momentum and adoption. If you are proving value, then it's not nearly as difficult to get that incremental investment. You know, that's always a, a question in Data Mesh. Teams also want to participate and capture value. Excitement builds. But it's also important to note what, that what success looks like will change. Maybe not a wholesale, but at least a part. In different phases of your own implementation, you might have the buy-in later and you don't have to focus quite so much on showing the value versus maybe delivering you know, different capabilities or doing different things. For Jimmy, there are two important aspects of your implementation, essentially the setup and the knockdown. You have to set up your implementation for success by building out the platform and capabilities, but getting teams to actually adopt. You know, you can build it, but will they come? Right? It's getting them to adopt is still crucial. Just because you built something amazing, you still have to work with people to understand the shift in mindset and approach to get them to buy in and actually adopt. A great platform that no one is using isn't really a great platform, now is it? Trying to keep momentum of the whole mesh implementation until you reach critical mass is very challenging. Jimmy talked about how trying to get teams with quite different capabilities and speed levels to work together can be hard. It's a bit like, you know, you don't want to use these analogies when talking to them, but it's a bit like trying to do a group project with, you know, a third grader and a seventh grader. They're just kind of at different capability levels. It's not as though any organization is built to all move together as one. It's not, organizations aren't built like a car that moves as one use it, unit. It's more like a group of cars, you know, that you're carpooling or that you've got a, a big group of, of people that are going together. So you really need to focus on the coordination, collaboration, and especially communication. You know, ABC, always be communicating. But that's that coordination is is how you get to better scale without so much complexity and how you can have those teams work together. Jimmy believes that the central data team and data mesh should be a key point of leverage. This is kind of a, a discussion point. What is the central uh, data team actually play in data mesh? They can jump in to help a domain early in their journey to get something delivered while raising that domain's capabilities. A central team can bring those repeatable patterns to find easy paths for those new domains. That way, the domains still learn by doing, but they don't have to learn by repeatedly failing. But once a domain is capable enough, the central team tries to move out quickly to give the domains autonomy to do what's valuable. They're also building a community of practice for practitioners to share insights with each other, providing even more leverage and discovering more repeatable high-value patterns. This is something that just keeps coming up. you got to build these communities where people can exchange information. That's kind of what <laughs> I did with data mesh learning, right? When asked about bringing a domain up to speed and the question of complexity, Jimmy strongly believes that you should start simple. You don't hand the seven-year-old who wants to help you cook the big butcher's knife, you know, and have them go wild on day one. Get them into a groove. Get them confidence and understanding how to deal with data. Then you can start to think about adding complexity. But dealing with data is complex enough. Keep it simple for them to deliver some value initially. Get some momentum and some understanding. When thinking about success and things like a new domain's, time to first data product 
Jimmy believes you can learn where there is friction, but the actual times vary quite a bit. You know, so you might see lengthening times for new domains to launch a data product, but it could be a good thing because, you know, that length in time is because you are dealing with domains who really aren't sure what they're doing and have to learn a bunch about data in general and how to model their own data. That means you are penetrating the less data savvy parts of the organization. All things equal, you obviously want to go faster with every new data product, every you know new domain's first data product, but just take things with a big grain of salt because there's so much variation from data product to data product, from domain to domain. Just dig in a little bit and understand what's actually going on instead of trying to just create a high-level metric and say that's what we're focused on. There's also the fun of trying to thread the needle of data modeled for the initial use case, so you know that fit for that purpose, yet also modeled so it fits well and is interoperable with the rest of the data in your available mesh of data products. Jimmy said this is especially true of domains just getting up to speed with dealing with data and data modeling, so prepare for them to move slower and need more help. They're not used, I mean, nobody's really used to threading that needle all that well as to how do you um, prepare this data so it can fit into the overall set of your information and yet still keep that um, that loose coupling. When asked about where there is friction in the process of bringing on new domains that we shouldn't try to reduce, Jimmy pointed to learning and understanding. People need to take the time to understand how to do data work and all that, but also understand the new ways of working and why the organization is going in this direction. It's that old, are you trying to get them to do the steps or are you trying to achieve the target outcome you give them? Learning takes time. Don't rush it. Jimmy's role is pretty unique as far as other organizations telling their story. He's focusing or he's focused on helping people focus in the right areas, but also help on helping them connect the dots. There's such a big picture when you think about the entire information scape of an organization and helping people to connect to each other and see where they could enhance that bigger picture is highly valuable. So he's you know talking to all these different domains and he might say, hey, have you worked with this other domain on this thing? They've got this data that could play really well with yours and connect those dots and create those opportunities. That's kind of what I do between people in, in a lot of the, the data kind of greater community of just connecting people to each other. This drives better value while also reducing miscommunications, duplication of work, and wasted time. This also is somewhat similar to that kind of data Sherpa concept I've mentioned kind of repeatedly that just about everyone looks like I'm, I'm a madman when I bring up. The question of what to de- decentralize versus centralize is a tough one for every organization doing data mesh. Jimmy pointed to the fact that where you are starting from, an organization that is already decentralized versus one that is all already centralized, for instance, will mean completely different paths in your in your mesh journey. At Northern Trust, they're focused on having a central team who, quote, coordinates, facilitates, and aligns people to the policies and practices, as well as driving adoption. They also take in more information and continually tweak what they're doing as needed. Some interesting tidbits, a couple just to wrap up. 
it's crucial to keep people focused on the right things. And someone focused on helping people identify where they should focus, as Jimmy is doing, could significantly help. There are also a lot of places to potentially cut corners, but most will end up costing you far more dearly dearly than if you had spent the time to do it properly. Only take on tech debt consciously, not because you are in a rush. Hopefully it sounds like some awesome episodes for you coming up this week. As a reminder, feel free to get in touch if I might be useful in your data mesh journey, helping quite a few organizations and introducing people to each other, plus doing some roundtables. Check out datameshunderstanding.com for more information. I hope you have a great rest of your day and week. Now on to that fun, funky little outro music.